And as you're seated, we're going to do uh, our start, our beginning to this time a little differently. I want you to take out a sheet of paper and a writing utensil. If you don't have a sheet of paper, we have some pads right here. If I got anybody that needs a sheet of paper, just a small sheet of paper. Does anybody need one? You might have a bulletin. You could, you're, going to, you're going to want to be able to keep the sheet of paper, so don't just rip a corner. You're going to be writing on it, and you're going to keep it for a year. So tuck it in your Bible, in your wallet, your purse, maybe not your purse. You don't have a purse? You have a wallet? You could put it in your wallet. Don't put it in a shirt pocket, and you'll understand why, okay? I want you to write down answers to these three questions, or at least write down the three questions, and leave yourself some space to answer the questions. I would encourage you at least by the end of the day, okay? So is everybody ready? All right. Question number one, how do I define worship? What is worship? That's the first question. Question number two. How do you do it properly? How do I worship properly? And then the third question How do I feel when I think about these questions? Write down how you feel. I feel confused, unclear, unsure. I'm drawing a blank. I don't know. Write those down at some point today. What is worship? How do you do it properly? And how do you feel answering those questions? In 2024, we want to focus on worship. Today is our Pathway Sunday. And for those who may not know what Pathway Sunday means is, Pathway Sunday is the language we use of when we think of the Christian life as walking down a path and maybe you've ever you've been on a trail and and you saw a map of the trail and it tells you if you take this other trail off the main trail it'll lead you but you will eventually join the main trail uh, down the ways a bit that's how we think of pathway sunday we we are seeing one of these trails one of these topics in the Christian life of worship and we want to walk down that pathway that trail and we will come back at the end of the year and uh, rejoin the main trail. And so this is what we do here instead of uh, like a vision Sunday where we talk about, you know, how many numbers of baptisms and visitors and, and things like that. Uh, w- we want to focus on uh, a topic, something that is uh, central to the Christian life. And this year it's going to be worship. And as we think about worship, David says in Psalm 29, verse 2, he says, Ascribe to the Lord the glory due his name. 
Worship the Lord in the splendor of His holiness. Ascribe, give glory to the Lord, do His name. If we just take that verse alone, we, we pause and we meditate on it, we might have some questions. Okay, David, ascribe the glory due to His name. How do we know that His name is due glory? How do we know that He really deserves as much credit as He's claiming for Himself? How do we ascribe it or give it in a way that's pleasing to Him? How do we know how much glory is due? Can you give Him too much? What makes Him due for glory versus everyone else? How do we know that this is the one we ought to worship? Why not why him and not some other God? How do we know he's the one true God? And what about worshiping the Lord in the splendor of his holiness? What does that mean? Worship the Lord. David, are you saying that, that we're supposed to get on our hands and knees and bow and, and just stay there until we either starve to death or pass out? Or maybe um, he's ascribing the glory due to his name, the same thing as worshiping the Lord. Is that how we do it? So even in one verse on worship, there's a lot of questions that we could begin to ask, and there are many others. But this morning, we want to cover some basic preliminary truths about worship, what worship is. And I want you to leave here with three convictions about worship. Three very basic convictions, biblical convictions about what worship is and why it matters that we study it. And the main idea I want you to walk away here leaving, having on your heart and your mind that you talk about in the car, at the table, is this. We are created to worship God. And Jesus saves sinners so they may worship God. And enjoy Him. Let me say that again. We are created to worship God. And Jesus saves sinners. He saves us so that we may worship Him and enjoy Him. So that's the main idea I want you to see this morning. And we're going to see this in, in these three convictions about worship. And so we're going to start in Genesis chapter 2. And we're going to be looking at a, a lot of verses, so we're going to be flipping pages, and you can try to keep up if you want, but I'm not expecting you to turn to every passage that I mention. But if you want to turn to Genesis, it's Genesis chapter 2, and we're going to look at verse 15 to start our time together and see that God made us to worship. God made us to worship. Last week we were in the garden talking about the sanctity of human life, so let's stay in the garden and see what Moses tells us about the creation of man in Genesis 2.15. It says that the Lord God, Yahweh, took the man, placed him in the Garden of Eden to work it and watch over it. This is, this is Genesis 2, the zoomed-in account of the creation of man where we're getting, and woman, and we're getting a little bit more details, and we're told that He's placed there to work it and to keep it. And then we're told that God created the woman as a helper to help work it and watch over it. So whatever they're put there to do, they're there to do it together. And I want to focus on two aspects of this verse. It's the word put 
And then the, two, the phrase, work it and watch over it. So notice it says he put Adam there. It's not the same word as in verse 8. If you look at verse 8, it says the Lord planted a garden and he placed the man that he had formed. It's not the same word there. In verse 15, the word that he uses is the word that the root meaning means to rest. It's the same root that is the name of Noah. Noah's name means rest. And so if you think about it, what it's saying is, you know, God rested on the seventh day. God uh, ceased everything because it was good. But, the, but he takes Adam and he, he rested him in the garden. He placed him there so that he would be in this place of rest, this place of peace, this place of security, this place that was the best place for him to be. God rested Adam in the garden. And if you read, if you do a word study, if you just go on the internet and you, there's websites you can do this or you can get a concordance. In the first five books of Moses called the Pentateuch or the law, these, this word refers to safety, but it also refers to something dedicated to the, in the presence of the Lord. So not only is, is Adam rested there, he is placed in the presence of Almighty God. To rest there, to be in God's presence. So he's, he's put there. But then notice, we want to look at the phrase that he was put there to work it and watch over it. This indicates the purpose for man's creation and their purpose in the garden. What were they rested there, placed in the presence of the Lord, to do? Now we read it and it says to work it and watch over it. And we don't have time to go into the, the minutiae of the argument, but there's one commentator, and I think he's pretty close, where he says that a better translation of work it and watch over it is that they were placed there to worship and obey. And we don't have time to get into that, but even if we don't translate it that way, it's still there in the background, because notice it says they were put there to work it and watch over it. That, that word work means to serve, and in the Old Testament, don't you hear about the Israelites served other gods? They served other idols. So this idea of serving has to do with worship. But then it also says that they were to watch over. They were to keep. This word is used of worship as well. In Numbers chapter 1, verse 53, it says, And the Levites shall keep guard. They shall watch over the tabernacle of the testimony. So both of these words refer to worship. So what was Adam and Eve rested in the garden to do? In the presence of God, they were rested and placed there to worship. That's why they were created. So Moses uses this language of resting man and the safety and the blessedness of the garden in the presence of God that, that man and woman might commune and fellowship and worship this God. Now notice, this isn't about just... I mean, I remember when I was an atheist in college and I would hear people talking about worshiping the Lord forever and I thought, that sounds boring. Because in my mind, worshiping was you just lay on your face forever. And that's all you do. Now, can we be honest? Does, does that sound like something you want to do for an eternity? I, 
but, but that's not what we're talking about. When we're talking about worship, it's they were invited and created to live in the presence of God and enjoy Him. To live and breathe and move before Him all the days of their life. To worship. To have every, satis- every, every need of their heart fully met in, in His presence. To know unending joy and fellowship with Him. That's what we're talking about for worship. You were designed to enjoy and love and delight in the God who made you. We were created to know God, to relate to God, to respond to God. In other words, you were created for worship. And this means, number one... That every single human being worships something. If you are a human, you worship someone, something. There is no such thing as an atheist. If you believe that there are no gods and you say, I am making the determination and I am making a statement about a reality that is true for all people everywhere, that there is no God, you know who you think God is? You. There are no atheists. We all worship something, whether it's with our time, our money, our energy. We worship. Sometimes we worship Idols of family, of security, of peace. We worship success. We worship our comfort, whatever it is. What do you sacrifice the most for? What, what helps you to feel at calm in the world? What, what do you regularly skip corporate worship for? All these questions indicate things you might worship. But we are designed for worship. And every human being worships. That's why we were made to know God. To enjoy Him. To worship Him. So remember our main idea is that we were created to worship God. And Jesus saved sinners. The problem with worship. Our, second, our first conviction is that we are, we are created, designed to worship. Our second conviction about worship is that our sinful nature corrupts our worship. Our sinful nature corrupts our worship. Why do I say corrupt? It, it deforms it. And not, it doesn't destroy it because as we've just said, we worship. We have an impulse and a natural inclination. That never goes away. We're created to worship. But what happens is because we're sinners, that desire gets distorted. Our loves get disordered. And we worship things other than the one true God. And I think this helps us to put our sin and our sinful nature in perspective. So understand this. It's not just our sins, the acts that we commit that deforms and corrupts our worship. It's our sinful nature that we are born sinners. We are born with hearts that love idols. That do not love the God who made them. And so when we think about sin at its root. Sin is an act of worship. 
it is an act of worshiping someone or something else. But our worship is deformed. It's not destroyed. It's disordered. It's deformed. It's distorted. And we see this when we worship the wrong people, the wrong things. We see this when we create our own idols. That our hearts long to worship, but we don't worship the one true God. So we create gods that we like. We create God in our own image. But another way that our sinful nature corrupts our worship is that we seek to define worship. It's parameters and it's mechanics. And we see this just a few chapters later after Genesis 3. You see that the fall of Adam and Eve where they disobey God and they, they eat from the tree that they're not supposed to. And then what happens after they're sent out in Genesis 4? You flip a couple pages over and it says that Adam and Eve had Cain and Abel. So this is, this is the first instance of what life is like outside of the presence of God, outside of the garden. And what happens? It's about worship. It says, now Abel became a shepherd of flocks, but Cain worked the ground. And in the course of time, this is verse 3, Cain presented some of the land's produce as an offering to the Lord. That's worship. And Abel also presented an offering, some of the firstborn of his flock and their fat portions. And then look, listen, the Lord had regard for Abel and his offering, but he did not have regard for Cain and his offering. And Cain was furious and he looked despondent. And what you see in Genesis 4 is that God gets to define what is acceptable worship. God is the one who defines and determines what worship is and should be. And our sin seeks to define it ourselves, our sinful nature. We want to define the parameters and the mechanics of worship. Don't we see this again in the incident of... The Israelites and the golden calf. Moses in Exodus is receiving the Ten Commandments. And what are the first two? You shall have no other God besides me. And the second commandment is you shall make no idol. Now we read that second commandment and we think as long as we don't have any images or as long as we don't make any idols, we're good. But it's not just about the images. What God is saying there is, don't have any other gods before me, and then don't seek to define worship on your own terms. And that's exactly what Israel does, isn't it? In Exodus, in Exodus 32, it's the epitome of our sinful nature corrupting worship. We, they turn to idols and they make a God in their own image. They don't just break the second commandment and the first commandment because they create uh, an image of God, but they worship God in a way that He has not told them to worship. Are you with me? So breaking the second commandment is not just about we don't have idols in our homes or we don't have statues. But it's, are we worshiping in the way he tells us to? The way he prescribes. So when we think about it, worship, we want to worship in ways that God has commanded and approved. And when we don't, we're dangerously close to breaking the second commandment. Worshiping in ways that God has not asked to be worshipped. And so our sinful nature, it corrupts our worship. None of us here uh, sought after God with a pure heart. 
in and of ourselves. So this is the great story of the Bible, isn't it? That God created us for fellowship and for worship to enjoy Him. But we don't and we can't because we're sinners. And that's why we have the rest of the, the Bible and the rest of our main idea. is not just that we were created for worship and we're sinners who don't worship properly. But Jesus saves sinners so that we might worship and enjoy him. And we see this in the New Testament. And one of the best places to look at it is in John 4. And if you turn to John 4, you know John 4. You know what John 4 is about. That's the incident with the woman at the well. And it's that great passage in verses uh, 21 through 24 where Jesus talks about you must worship in spirit and in truth, right? John 4, verse 23, an hour is coming, Jesus says, and is now here when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth. Yes, the Father wants such people to worship him. God is spirit and those who worship him must worship in spirit and in truth. So our our third conviction about worship, we are created, designed to worship God. But our sinful nature corrupts our worship. But Jesus saves us to worship. When we read these verses in John 4, if we're not paying attention to the context, we might miss what is actually going on here because... Notice, if, in the context right before that, in verses 13 and 14, what is Jesus talking to the woman about? She's coming to the well because she's thirsty, and she's trying to get physical water. Jesus asks her for something to drink, right? And then eventually Jesus says, if you knew who was speaking to you, if you knew the water that I was offering to you, everyone who drinks from this water, from this well, will get thirsty again. But whoever drinks from the water that I will give him will never get thirsty again. In fact, the water I will give him will become a well of water springing up in him for eternal life. The whole point about worshiping in spirit and truth comes after the fact that Jesus says, if you drink of the water that I give you, you will have eternal life. When we come and trust in Jesus Christ, when we see that we're sinners and that we're separated from God, that we cannot know Him and enjoy Him because of our sin, and we know that Jesus Christ comes and He lives a perfect life and He goes to a cross. As we said when we read Romans, He was delivered up for our transgressions but raised for our justification. The Bible says when sinners trust and rest in Jesus Christ, they are forgiven of their sins. They are declared righteous because they believe in the Lord Jesus Christ. And now that well... It springs up within them for eternal life. And the Father is seeking those who will worship Him in spirit and truth. So notice, not only, this is the only place where we're told the Father is seeking something. We're told that the Son of Man comes to seek and save the lost, correct? We, we know that. But this is the only place where we're told what the Father is looking for. And the Father is looking for worshipers to worship Him in spirit and the truth. And the Son who loves the Father goes and seeks and saves the lost, and they are forgiven and made new creations so that now they worship in spirit and in truth. And you and I get to be beneficiaries of this work of grace 
that God does through Jesus Christ. Jesus, the whole point is that he has come to give eternal life. And when we drink of the water that he offers, our, our souls are satisfied. Our hearts are satisfied. The restlessness that we feel, the hole that we have that was created because of our sin and because we were meant to worship God has now been filled by the Lord Jesus Christ. And so he saves us to worship. So understand Don't miss how good and gracious God is to sinners. That we were created to worship Him, but we chose to go our own way. And by no right and by no claim as sinners do we have any claim or right to enjoy Him, to know Him, to have a relationship with Him. What we deserve is death. And yet... Jesus comes and dies in our place so that we who were sinners, separated, rebellious, apart from the promises of God, having no hope, having no knowledge, no enjoyment in God, now by the sheer grace of God in Jesus Christ, we get to enjoy Him. Somebody say amen. You did not deserve it and yet God plucked you out of the darkness and put you into the kingdom of His beloved Son. Because he loved you. Because he was gracious towards you. Because he loves sinners. So Jesus saves us so that we might enjoy that which we had lost for ourselves. When you think about it, this is what... In Romans 12 is another verse, another two verses. Romans 12, 1 and 2 that you could go to. Where Paul says, all of Romans 1 through 11 is about the gospel. Especially Romans 1 through 5. Romans 1 through 5 is all about what Jesus Christ has done for sinners. That we were dead in our sins. We deserved wrath. But we are given life through faith in the second Adam. Who brings grace and life. The first command in Romans doesn't show up until Romans chapter 6. All of Romans 1 through 5 assumes that we're dead in our sins and trespasses and we are made alive in Christ. And then Romans 6 begins, now this is how you should live. But Romans 1 through 11 is all about the gospel. And then you get to Romans 12, 1 and 2. Romans 1 and 11 is, here's what God has done for you in Jesus Christ. Romans 12, 1 and 2. Therefore, brothers and sisters, in view of the mercies of God, I urge you to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true worship. Jesus saves you to worship. So those are our three convictions about preaching. I'm not preaching. About worship. About worship. We are created and designed to worship God, but our sin separates us from him so that we don't know what it's like to enjoy him we don't know what it's like to have fellowship with him but Jesus comes purchases uh, purchases us and makes it so that we can worship and enjoy him so these are our three basic convictions about worship now what does that mean for the rest of the year as we talk about worship 
in 2024, our pathway about worship. Over the rest of the year, we want to ask and answer some of the most basic questions about worship. And as we did last year, there's going to be some continuing uh, practices that we do. For example, each Sunday, the last Sunday of the month, we will have a sermon on worship. We're going to talk about individual worship, family worship, and especially corporate worship. Uh, We're going to have book recommendations that we give every month, just like we did with prayer. And I have some for you today. But I heard your feedback. Some of you graciously offered it, unsolicited. (laughs) I know not all of you are book readers. And so we want to make videos and articles, resources regularly available as well. So we're going to be utilizing social media. We're going to be making sure that you have every access to great materials to help you in your understanding of worship. There's a couple goals that I I hope the Lord will accomplish, uh, some hopes that I have for this year. The reason I had you write down those questions is because at the end of the year, I want us to go back and I want us to answer those questions again. And I want you to see how much you've learned, how much you've changed, how your understanding has grown, and how you feel about answering the questions. So that's why we did that. But I have a couple of goals and hopes. And and the first is that I want us to begin thinking theologically and biblically about worship. Not just pragmatically or preferentially. I want us to think about what does the scriptures say about worship and how we worship. Not... What works at the current time in our culture, or what do we prefer? Let's think theologically and biblically about worship. Uh, another goal and hope that I have is that, that you begin to understand what we're doing in corporate worship. And why we're doing what we're doing. I want you to be able to understand every part of your order of service, why it's there, what's the purpose, I see my order of service right here, why it's there, what it's for, what we're doing, what God promises to do in that part of the order of service. So that when you come to worship, you are seeing what is taking place as we are there. But not just what we're doing and why we're doing it, I want you to know what we're not doing and why we're not doing it. There are a lot of churches doing crazy things. Maybe you've seen some of it. Churches have zip lines. Churches with motorized stages. and, and, and all. So it's not just about what are we doing and why are we doing it, but I want you to know what we're not doing it and why we're not doing it. Another goal or hope I have is that you will grow in your understanding of individual family and corporate worship. But that, that will just come as we talk about these different things. But then the last two are, are, are kind of the, the big, big goals and hopes. Number, number four is that when you begin to understand what worship is, and when you begin to understand what happens in corporate worship, I hope that by the end of the year, you will never want to miss church again.
Now that sounds like a bold claim, but I believe by the end of the year, you'll see how we can back it up. If you understand what happens here every Sunday morning, week in, week out, what God promises to do for His people, you will never want to miss again. Now notice, I I didn't say you will never miss. I understand it, it is perfectly acceptable if you have COVID, if you have the flu, if you're throwing up, please stay home. But, but I hope there is a shift in your heart when you understand that what happens here on Sunday morning does not happen anywhere else. And I'd even go a step further and say what happens here on Sunday morning cannot be reduplicated in your quiet time. It is only there are things that God promises to do in corporate worship setting like this that once you understand it... You will never want to miss again. And then the last one is that I hope that this year will increase your joy in and enjoyment of God and Jesus Christ. If worship is the enjoying and the delighting and the fellowshipping with God, the better we understand worship, the better we understand how to relate to Him in ways that are pleasing to Him, in the ways that He's commanded, that only means that our enjoyment and satisfaction is going to get better. It's like the first time I had pupusas. Does anybody know what a pupusa is? Okay, amazing dish amazing dish and and the first time I had it what you do is it's kind of like this corn tortilla kind of almost like cake uh, thing it has like meat and cheese stuffed in it and they fry it it's it's like Guatemalan it's a Latin American dish and they give it to you and they have like a salsa that you can put on it but then they also give you like this pickled cabbage that you could and I remember the first time I ate it I just ate the the pupusa and I just bit into it like it was like a nacho or something. And I had, a, I had a guy with me. He was like, that's not how you eat it. Now, when I ate it that way, it was good. But he said, here's what you do. You take this. You, you, you don't, he's like, you don't use a fork. Don't use a fork, which that was what I had done. So he's like, you don't use a fork. You just put the, the pickled cabbage on there and then the salsa. And then you just pick it up and you bite it all at once. And it was so much better. When we worship God in the way that he tells us to worship, it only increases our enjoyment of him. So we are created to worship God. And Jesus saves us so that we might worship and enjoy him. And that's what we want to grow. That, that, those basic convictions we want to grow in in 2024. But we're not going to stop there. In 2024, we're going to talk a lot about worship. We're going to talk a lot about corporate worship. In 2025, we're going to begin putting what we've learned into practice, especially concerning corporate worship. And so we're taking a long detour. It's going to be two years of studying worship, studying corporate worship, and then making the changes in light of what we've learned to our corporate worship setting so that you understand what's happening. We're not just changing it without you. You're not just going to come in one Sunday and the whole service is going to be different and, um, and things like that. But we're going to begin putting those things in practice. What's the point of learning the truth if we're not going to act on it, right? 
So we're going we're to be, begin making the small changes to, to bring our corporate worship time more in alignment with what God says we ought to do during the corporate worship time. But let's not forget, brothers and sisters, that this is all centered around Jesus. We do this not to, to check a box, not to say, oh, well, look how, look how our service is compared to others. It is so that when we come here week in and week out, that we meet and enjoy together the Lord Jesus Christ. That is our hope. As sinners who've been redeemed and bought by the blood of Jesus, we want to make sure that we are meeting with Him in a way that pleases Him so that we can enjoy Him. So, you have your questions. Think about them. Answer them by the end of the day and tuck that somewhere, whether in your Bible, uh, on a shelf, somewhere. Don't lose that. Maybe take a picture of it on your phone so you can, because let's just be honest, some of you are going to lose it. Okay, the piece of paper. Take a picture on your phone. If you have to print it out and mail it to yourself or put it in a safety, whatever you have to do to keep track of that piece of paper, do it. Okay? And let's, let's pray and ask God to grow our understanding of worship. And then at the end of the year, we'll pull out that sheet of paper. You'll answer the same questions. And I think you'll be amazed to see how much you've grown. So let me pray for us. Father, we thank you for worship the invitation to worship, the, the privilege to worship. And God, that you and Jesus Christ came and redeemed sinners so that we might enjoy you, delight in you, have fellowship and communion with you. And Lord, maybe there's someone here today that they realize that the way they've been living, it shows that they've been seeking something to fill a hole that, that hasn't been filled. Lord, help them to see that's because they were created to worship. And the only person that can satisfy that, that hole and, and that rest that they long for is Jesus. Lord, may they come to him today. But for us who are believers, Lord, help us to recount and remember the, the joyous opportunity we have to respond, to ascribe glory to the Lord, do his name to worship him in the splendor of his holiness. God, you are worthy of worship, worthy of praise. And God, we are grateful sinners, grateful for the grace that allows us to enjoy you. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.